Okay, let's turn to manliness now, if we can, for a few moments. Are there any guys here who are like sports fanatics, like men, like you're just what you listen to, you watch ESPN or you listen to 980 or 570. Uh, is there a guy here that's like that? Or, or maybe you're sitting next to a guy who you feel like they're a sports fanatic because they always want to keep switching it to ESPN. Any guys here fit that bill? Any, any at all that like you're really into sports? Not, no guys, no guys. So you got one guy who's one guy in this auditorium is into sports. Really, really. It, it, is there? Any? Okay, there's one here. Is there another? There's another. Okay, can, can I get three that are really into sports to be willing to come up on stage? Just three. I need three guys who are like, I'm going to, just a little, it's, it's, the contest is going to be so easy. All right, there's one. Come on up. So here's two. Can I get a third? Can I get a third? All right, come on right up. Okay. All right, four, four. Okay, come right on up. That's good. Excellent. Excellent. Hold that for me a second. Let me turn it on for you. All right. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to have you pass it down. I trust you with the mic. All right. So, uh, names. Tell us everybody's name, Chris. I'm Chris. Yeah. Who you got next to you? I'm Sean. Sean. Chris. Sean. Daniel. Chris. Sean and Daniel. So, welcome, Chris. Sean and Daniel. We're going to do a little sports trivia, okay? And you can shout out to you know your favorite person up here and help them out, but you can't go on your phone to look up these answers. Are we clear? All right. Let's stay honest. We're in a community theater here. Let's be honest. All right? Okay. <clears throat> Some of you got that. Others of you didn't. All right. Uh, so we're going to do... So this is so easy for you guys. This is going to be incredibly easy, these questions. So here's, here's the first one, right? Who are the top three highest paid athletes, salary, not endorsements, salaried athletes in the world, right, for this past year? Who are the top three highest paid athletes? And just, just real quick, just give it to one, two, three, boom, boom, boom. Who do you think? Top three. No, come on. Messi. Messi. All right, Messi. All right, go ahead. Well, who's your second choice? Get it right. I'll hold it for you. Okay. <laughs> LeBron. Uh, Messi, LeBron. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Brady. Brady. Messi, Messi LeBron, LeBron, and Brady. I'll go Messi, LeBron, and... Messi, LeBron. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to go... Uh... Go ahead. Oh, shoot. Peyton Manning. Ma- Manning. Peyton. Okay, go ahead. Mayweather. Yeah, Mayweather. Uh, LeBron. LeBron. And Ronaldo. Okay. Hey, you all remember what they, I'm not going to remember what they said. Uh, some of them got some things right. So let's go. Who, who are they? Who are they? All right. Number one, highest paid. Okay. So you got Mayweather's number one, Pacquiao's number two, and Messi. And just so in case you didn't know what sport Messi plays, we put the soccer ball in his hand. Okay. <clears throat> Any idea what Mayweather makes in one year? What did he make? $250 million. He made $6 million a minute for fighting the number two highest paid player uh, athlete in the world, Manny Pacquiao, who grew up on the streets, impoverished on the streets of Philippines and made $150 million this past year. And finally, representing the world of soccer, the number one sport in the world of that's what they say uh, outside of the United States, I guess, whatever. So dude made, dude made $56 million, Leon, Lionel Messi, all right? Can't even say his name right. Okay, so there you go. All right, so let's, now let's bring it home. Let's start this side since you got to go last last time. Who is the highest paid MLB player? The highest paid, no, not endorsements, salaried MLB player. You can't think a lot because the other guys are waiting. So go ahead, give us. Uh, Verlander. Verlander? Verlander, Sean? Unfortunately, A-Rod. A-Rod? Yeah, it's A-Rod. A-Rod. Okay, show us the answer because nobody got it right. Show it to us. Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw. And nobody was yelling out answers out there. 
All right, now, now let's, let's bring it to God's sport. God's sport, the NBA, right? You all know that a, a preacher invented the game of basketball, everybody, just in case you did not know. Highest paid NBA player, please, my good man. Kobe. Co- Kobe, Kobe. He says Kobe. LeBron. 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 Okay, one person got it right. Show us. Who is it? 25, $25.5 million. $25.5 million. That's pure salary. Okay. All right. And the granddaddy of them all, NFL. We'll start on this. Uh, what, what do you think? Here you go. Oh, no, no. Uh, who's highest paid? Uh, Brady. Brady? I'm going to go Peyton. You're going to go Peyton? Aaron Rodgers. Okay, now nobody, nobody would have picked this. Nobody would have picked this. But a local guy, a local guy, Joe Hayden, defensive back from Fort Washington, Maryland. He's from this area, and he is a freak of an athlete. I've actually played basketball numerous times with this guy. Phenomenal. Joe Hayden, defensive back, makes $23 million a year. All right. All right, how about a big round of applause for our contestants? Right. Awesome, awesome. Now listen. Fellas, fellas, all of you guys are going to get to eat free. We still want you to ride the bull, but you get to eat free for standing up here on this stage. Can you do me a favor, Chris, before you jump? Can you take that with you? Just hand it to Jonathan over there. Thank you very much. It's awesome. Appreciate it. Sorry to task you with an extra job right there. <laughs> all right, we're talking about uh, one shrewd. All this plays in. This is very important. I want us to think about money because we're talking about money. I want us to think about salary. I want us to think about huge whopping dollar signs. Huge. What we pay these athletes enormous amounts of money, and are they worth those enormous amounts of money? Okay. Why would they be worth those enormous? And and those salaries, as big as they are, are they too small? Are they too small? Let's talk about money. Money in the black. We're talking about this. Uh, parable this morning. One shrewd dude is the title of the message. It's from Luke chapter 16. It is the quirkiest story, in my opinion, that Jesus ever told. The quirkiest parable, the quirkiest story that Jesus ever told. It's, it's an amazing story. I'm just going to read it to you. I'm going to try to explain some things along the way. I've uh, known about this parable for all my life, and I never really looked into it. I was like, what is this about? What is Jesus doing? He's like praising this guy for his dishonesty. I mean, is that even right? Like praising the guy for cheating. All right, so here we go. Luke 16. It comes right after Luke 15, obviously, but Luke 15 is a very famous chapter, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the famous story of the prodigal son. So it, you have to keep that all in its context. So here we go. Luke, uh, Luke 16. Let me read you the story to you, and I'll do some commentary along the way. Jesus told his disciples this story. There was this rich man, all right, who had a manager who was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in. He calls the manager in, everybody, and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be a manager, right? So I'm firing you. So he brings him in, says, I'm going to audit you for what you've done, and then you're fired. You're already done. I'm going to fire you. Verse 3, watch what the manager does. Check this out. The manager says to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors, calls in each one of his master's debtors, and he asked the first one, watch this, how much do you owe my master? And, and they replied, eight hundred gallons of olive oil. Now watch what he does. So they owe the owner, the master, 
800 gallons. So he says, take your bill, sit down, do this quickly, and make it for 400. So he cuts it from 800 to 4. He cuts the bill in half. Then he asked the second one who he called in. So in other words, there's probably a whole line of people who are debtors out the door. So he calls the second one in. He says, how much do you owe? And the guy says, a thousand bushels of wheat. So he applies to them, take your bill and make it for 800. So the first guy owed 800 gallons of olive oil. He cuts it in half to 400. Second guy owes a thousand bushels of wheat. He says, cut it down by 200 bushels and make it for 800. Now watch this. This is the weirdest thing. Jesus is telling this parable, verse number eight. He says, the master commended the dishonest manager. What? What? Jesus is praising dishonesty. Isn't it like against the Ten Commandments somewhere? Master commends the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people, check this out, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. I tell you, now here it goes. When it comes to parables, like the main point, the main event, the main point is everything. This is what he says, verse number nine. Jesus says these words. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, in other words, when you're dead and money is of no value to anymore and you're in eternity, so that when it is gone, you will be able to be welcomed. You'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Make friends with worldly wealth so that in eternity you're going to have friends when you arrive. Wow. Verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. You know, God, if you just give me more money, I would, I would do greater things with it. That actually never happens is what Jesus is saying. So if you have not been trustworthy with handling worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with true riches? That's eternal stuff, spiritual stuff, right? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one, no servant can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other or despise the other, uh, be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the final kicker, the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this, and we're sneering at Jesus. So he says to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Wow, what a strange, what a strange prayer. How do you figure that out? How does he, how does Jesus go and praise this guy for 800 gallons down to four. How does he praise him for that dishonesty? So let me give you an, let me give you an idea. Like this baffles uh, Bible experts, but can I give you one that's going to help me to understand it? So what's going on here? Why did he reduce it 800 to 400 and the other guy with the wheat from 1,000 to 800? The thought is here is that the manager, the dishonest manager, was putting his own fee his own commission, which he was not supposed to do, he was putting that into the debt that was owed. Does that make sense? So what he did is he like totally subtracted himself. So, so the guy is already being paid. But on top of it, he was taking advantage and putting his own fee in. So what was cut out was he had added to the burden of debt to those who owed his manager, to owed his, the, the master. So if it was owed 800 
gallons of olive oil. So he had added 400 in there. So he just simply reduced it out. And so Jesus here is praising him for taking himself out of the equation. Does that make more sense? It begins to make more sense as you look at this parable. He takes his own fee, his own commission out, which he should have never done in the first place. The main point is this. The main point is this. He is making it more difficult for people to get out of debt. And so Jesus says in Luke 16, 9, this thing, this main point about the whole parable is this. I tell you, ready? I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, when, when your life is over and you're in eternity, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What is that trying to say? Say so that, you know what? If you use worldly wealth in such a way to make a difference in people's lives for the values of the kingdom, for the values of the kingdom, right? Helping people specifically get out of debt to God. When you get to eternity, you're going to have all kinds of friends there that you didn't even know you had. People are going to come up to you and say, you know what? You never met me, but you gave this amount of money and something was done, whatever it is. We'll get that in that minute. And because of that, I was able to get out of debt with God or it changed my life. And I want to thank you. There'll be people who are your friends. You've not even met them, but you'll meet them in eternity. And they'll come and thank you for what you did with worldly wealth. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us, according to this parable this morning, to use worldly wealth to gain eternal friendships. In Christ's name, amen. All right, here we go. I've got just two brief points that I would like to say that lead us. They create the foundation for the main point about eternal friendships. And here it is. The first is this, very practical. Whose money is it? Whose money is it? You want to fill that in. It's very important when dealing with money and thinking about this parable because the dishonest manager forgot that he was a manager. And he began to put himself into ownership. He began to take the privileges of an owner. It's like, you know what? He mixed together. You've got the owner. Obviously, in the story, it's God, right? God is the owner. God is the master. It's all God. God owns it all. And the, and the manager, right? The, the human being, this guy here, the shrewd dude comes in and says, you know, I'm going to factor myself into the equation. I'm going to get a piece of the action. I'm going to take on ownership. I'm going to have some ownership of what's going on here. I'm going to make decisions for myself. And so the manager, who was just a manager, forgot that he was a manager and thought he was an owner. He forgot whose money it was in the first place. You know what God says? Haggai 2.8 says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The silver is mine going. God's saying, it's all mine. All the money is mine. And what the manager forgot was, is all the money was God's. It was none of his. And instead, he put himself into the equation. Very easy for me to say, you know, what, what's... what's What's in my wallet is mine. And God says, no, what's in your wallet is all mine. I'm going to have you manage it, okay? And you need to manage it well. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Well, God's just like he's taking it all. It's all his. Finally, Deuteronomy chapter 8, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. God is saying, and through this parable, Jesus Christ is saying, you're a manager, you're not an owner, you're a manager, so manage it. Well, I read this saying one time. I don't even know who authored it, but I'll share it with you. The thief says, what yours is mine, I'll take it. The selfish person says, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. 
The follower of Christ says, what's mine is God's. I'll share it. We need to manage those resources well. One practical point. It leads us to the final point. Here's the second practical point, all right? Are you getting people, are you, are you getting people out of debt or keeping people in it? Are you helping to get people out of debt or are you helping to keep people in debt? So think about this. The Pharisees, right? Luke 15, this whole thing begins in Luke 15 that, that, that covers, that's the context of everything. And it's about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the famous story of the prodigal son. And Jesus is speaking here to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were famous for this. They were not excited about getting people out of debt with God. They were much more excited about helping people be more like them. Does that make sense? Now, since we're all in debt to God, since we all have sin, every single one of us has sin, we never, get, we never get rid of sin. We never get rid of sin, right? We've covered that over and over again. Here's what the Pharisees would do. They wanted to make people like them. They weren't interested in getting people out of debt. And this is what this shrewd guy is doing. He's like actually keeping the burden of debt on people. He's adding to it to make it harder for them to get out of debt. This is a very spiritual point. And the Pharisees were known for doing this. They just wanted to make people like themselves, and what do we do? We, we, we all gravitate toward this, don't we? So when we want to make people like ourselves instead of helping people get out of debt with God, we're like, okay, if they can overlook the sins that I overlook, we all overlook our own sins, don't we? We all have those sins that we're like, well, that's okay. This over here, this list of sins, this is the not okay sins, but the sins over here, right? This is, this is, I heard a person this past week, they were talking about, you know, telemarketers. And I said, you know, how many people just treat telemarketers terribly? Yell, scream, cuss at them, whatever, hang the phone on them. This person said, you know what, that, we're not supposed to do that. So they, they don't buy their services, but they treat them nicely. Well, all right, it's probably a sin, but that's overlooked. So the, what the Pharisees, what the Pharisees would do is like, we have a list of sins that are okay, let's overlook these. We have a list of sins that are bad, and unless you agree that they're bad too, then you're like, you're out. You can't get right with God. And then a list of sins that, okay, let's all agree that these are the sins that we should hide. Like, we don't talk about them, okay? Are you more excited about getting people out of debt, or are you excited about helping people be more like you. And what this manager was doing is he was increasing the burden of people. Right. There will be people who don't deserve. I, think about this. That show was famous for a while, that extreme home makeover. We go into somebody's house. Remember that? Very deserving people. It was wonderful, and you cry, and you watch it, and oh, it's great. All right. What about the person who doesn't deserve it? We give medical attention to people, right? We treat people, medical attention to people who totally misuse their body. Like, they do terrible things with their body. They don't deserve the medical attention, but do we give it? It's the thing to do, right? Okay. Well, there are people like the prodigal son. I mean, that guy deserved everything he got, right? All right, so this guy, he goes, he wishes his father was dead. He says, I'll take the money now, Dad. Give me all my money now. And so he takes the money, and it's, that, was, that was the ultimate slap in the face for a father bag. That was just terrible. We don't live in a shame culture like they do in the Middle East. 
So what you need to know, that was terrible what he did. That, nothing could get worse. That boy deserved to burn in the fires of hell. Am I being strong enough with that? Is that strong enough? Okay. Okay. So that was just a terrible thing. And then he goes off and he squanders the money in riotous living, riotous living. And then you might say, yeah, you know, but he wised up and he came back and he was going to say to his dad, forgive me, even though his dad cut him off before he said it. But you know what, everybody? Come on. Guy, dude was, dude was living in a pig pen. I mean, dude, don't you think you would wake up one day, you know, and your dad's got this big mansion over here, right? Don't you think you'd wake up one day if you're like eating the pig food and living in the slop? So come on. Life is, this dude deserved nothing. And the thing about Jesus is, is uh, he extends spiritual life to people who don't deserve it. How are you with that? So this shrewd manager, right, he was adding to the burden. And are we more excited about adding the burden or taking the burden off? It's exciting when you see somebody come out of debt, isn't it? We do these classes here called Financial Peace. People cut up their credit cards. Man, it's like an Amway convention, right? It's just like, ah, people would shout, right? It's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing when people get, get out, of, out, of, out of debt. Sorry if you're Amway. It's not even called Amway anymore, is it? Okay. And some, I don't know, the whole MLM thing, whatever. All right. Um, here's what we have to assume. Jesus kept talking about the fact that as human beings... Right? As followers of God, right? as human beings, we tend, we gravitate towards putting our, our additional burdens on people and making it more difficult to people to get out of debt with God. We do this. This is what Jesus says. And so I have to assume that I'm doing that, right? If I don't assume that I'm putting my burdens, that Jesus is so loose and free with grace, the gospel is so loose and free, that we get, we, we harp as a, as a church, as a church world, as a church community, we harp on certain sins and we like want people to know you're in debt, you're in debt, you're in debt, you better get this. And we mess up grace and sanctification, right? And we say that you got to get sanctified before you can get saved. And that Jesus comes, so I have to assume that I do that. The whole entire New Testament writes about that over and over again. And throughout church history for 2,000 years, we've done that. So I have to approach this whole situation realizing that I'm probably doing the same thing. And this is what the shrewd manager was doing. He was adding to the burden. In the Hebrews chapter 12, it says we should fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. Don't fix your eyes on some kind of sin. Don't fix your eyes on some kind of, I need to change some behavior about my life. No, that's not salvation. Salvation is fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ. And there's going to be people who you say they don't deserve it. If you're not feeling that quite often, then you're not in the ballgame. So there are people who did not did not deserve it at all, okay? And this guy is adding to the burden of all of this. Um, there was an early Christian, pretty famous, he's called an early church father, and what happens here is what I'm getting ready to share with you, what he did. When we start mixing together the list of things that we say are, those are the really bad sins and here's the acceptable sins, all of a sudden the church world is known as a place that's about rules and laws and actually Jesus came to do what? To lift the burden of the law from us, right? All of a sudden, the church world becomes known as a place of rules and, 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 and laws. And so today, if you ask 
people in the United States of America, what is the Christian church really all about? Jesus says the first response should be, oh, that's a, that's a place of love and grace, right? That's what he says himself. But when you ask the United States of America, the answer comes back, it's a place of hatred. Right? So obviously we have this predisposition for it. So all the way back in the second century, this guy named Tertullian, he was like, you know what? Um, you, can't, you, you can't go to the theater, and some of you maybe grew up in a church where you didn't go to movies. And so he had this, you can't go to the theater because it has its roots in paganism. And you can't dance because it could lead to lust, right? And you couldn't wear cosmetics. You couldn't put on perfume. And this is what he says. He says, if God intended you to smell like a flower, he would have given you a crop of them on your head. <laughs> so my thing is this. Are you helping people? Are you excited about getting people out of debt? And Jesus is debt program is very loose and free. It's very loose and free. It's very loose and free. Okay? And this guy, the shrewd manager, was putting himself... Let me tell you one last story and let's move on. All right, Francis Collins, who is the director of NIH and he directed the Human Genome Project, right? He was not a, didn't grow up in a Christian home, but later in life he became a follower of Jesus Christ and a believer in the Bible. And he had many debates with Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and uh, Collins took tremendous heat when he became a follower of Jesus Christ. Like on the Bill Maher show, Richard Dawkins was on there, and they're like, oh, you know, stupid Collins, can you believe this? He believes in the Bible, he believes in the talking snake, and Dawkins says, yeah, he's not a really bright guy. Now, <laughs> Francis Collins is an extremely bright guy, right? He can't get in the position he's in, he can't earn his doctorate degree unless he's a really bright guy, but he took tremendous heat over the decisions that he made to follow Jesus Christ. In his debates with Christopher Hitchens, he got to know Hitchens, and Hitchens is described as a militant atheist, right, who has now passed on. Hitchens um, got cancer, and you know who reached out to him? Even though he took so much heat, Francis Collins took so much heat from that community. Francis Collins reaches out to Hitchens and the families. As you know, as the director of NIH, I'm aware of lots of cutting-edge you know, um, things to do with cancer, and he spent many, many hours with the Hitchens family. This is just a wonderful thing. Now, in the one and a half years that Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens, lived with cancer, he chronicled what was going on in Vanity Fair, and he talked about the letters that he would get from Christians. And one of them, in the article that he put, he said one Christian writes to him, and he's rejoicing that Christopher Hitchens has cancer. And he's like, great. The one part of your body that you use to blaspheme God, right, you have now been struck with cancer. And then he says in the writing to Christopher Hitchens, who's dying of cancer, right, he says, now the real fun for you is going to begin because you're going to burn in the fires of hell for all of eternity. Okay. Now, Francis Collin takes the different approach, and he begins to reach out to Hitchens and the family, and he's trying to help them. And do you know that this militant atheist, Francis uh, uh, Christopher Hitchens, in one of his final pieces in Vanity Fair, pays tribute to Francis Collins? And he says, this is one of the greatest Americans alive, and a true Christian physician. And he praises it. He says, you know what? And Fran, he, he, talks about, he talks about Colin's book, The Language of God. He says, you know what? He has made science and faith compatible. Hey, everybody, God's grace is loose and free. It's loose and free. 
And when as a people and when as a church we forget how loose and free and powerful it is. See, see to God, we, we, to us, we look at people and say, oh man, that's really wrong. That's really terrible. You've got to stop doing that. And God looks at us. He sees all the same. He sees all of his children who are in need of redemption. And when the church gets in the way and adds to the burden of the debt that we have with God like the shrewd manager did, all we do is stop the flow of the grace of God. But when things get exciting is when we cut ourselves out of the deal completely. Take your bill, cut it in half. I'm going to cut myself out and allow the grace of God to flow. Then there's rejoicing. The people are jumping up and down like they just won the lottery, right? Because it's an awesome thing. That's when the power flows. All right, dumb. I didn't mean to go that long with that point. Let's get to the main event. Here's the final point. Oh, let me say this. Hebrews 12. After the fix your eyes on Jesus, you know what it says? is Make sure nobody misses the grace of God. Make sure nobody misses. Are we doing that? Are we excited about that? All right, here we go. Are you using money to make eternal friendships? Are you using money to make eternal? I'm going to read Luke 16, not again, because this is what it's all about. This is what's really cool about this story that Jesus tells. Is I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, when you die, when it's over and you're in eternity, you'll be welcomed by friends that you didn't even know you had. You'll walk into eternity and people come running up to you. You know what? You did this X, Y, and Z. You supported this. And I heard about Jesus or though a cup of cold water was given his name or I received justice because of what you did. Grace Community Church, our annual budget is now nearing $2 million. That's a lot of money. $2 million. We pay every month to be in TJ. About $6,000. It's a long way from when we started as a church and the place we met was free. I like free. Free's good. Free's awesome. We pay $6,000 a month to be here and we have a $2 million budget. That is a lot. It's a lot of money. All right. I want to show you a picture. Let's throw that picture up there. Who knows what that picture is? Come on. Come on. That's famous. Which, but which one? The shot. The shot. 98. NBA Finals, final shot as a bull, Michael Jordan, to win his sixth championship, right? Does anybody have any idea how much money they paid him that season? $33 million. He is still, and that was in 1998, he is still the highest paid NBA single season salary of any basketball player who has ever received, right there, and that's all those years ago, Okay. Huge amount of money. $33 million in his enormous amount of money. But who is it not an enormous amount of money for? Who's like 33 million is a drop in the bucket? Who? Tell me who. Mayweather. Who? Mayweather. Mayweather. Oh, no. Okay. That's. <laughs> All right. You're thinking really deep here. Bulls fans, pay him $50 million. Bring us another championship. Because if your team is winning the championship, it's nothing. All of a sudden, everything changes. Now, if you're not a Bulls fan, which I'm not, then it's an enormous amount of money. But if I am a Bulls fan, pay the guy $50 million because it's awesome. I want to win a ring. Do you, are you getting, getting the connection? Getting the connection? Okay. All right. Let's talk about Malcolm Butler. Everybody know who Mal- Malcolm Butler is? Malcolm Butler? Malcolm Butler? Malcolm Butler? Nobody knows. Not even the sports fans knew who Malcolm Butler. One person. Thank you very much, sir, for waving your hand up there in the grandstand. Let's talk about Malcolm Butler. Mal- Malcolm Butler played at a community college as a freshman and got cut from that team and worked at Popeye's. 
He came back, played on the team, and eventually played Division II football as a defensive back. He was an undrafted rookie, but he made the Patriots squad and almost did not play in the Super Bowl, but because he was on the roster, they paid this guy who got cut, got kicked off a community college team. They paid him the, the, the NFL minimum of $420,000. That's nice minimum salary, by the way. That's an awesome minimum salary. And that's just way too much money, right? They weren't even sure he was going to play in the Super Bowl. And in the Super Bowl... Uh, he, the man he was covering caught a pass that put the Seahawks in position to win the Super Bowl. So, I mean, the dude's just doing terrible. It's terrible. $420,000, a huge amount of money. Now, I want to roll videotape. $420,000 almost even went on the team. Is that a lot of money? Not if you're a Patriots fan. If you're a Patriots fan, triple the salary, quadruple, add a 10 times, multiply it over and over again. doesn't matter. It's the tiniest. Nothing's dropping the bucket. Dropping the bucket means absolutely nothing. Why? Because your team won the Super Bowl. Now what I want to know, is anybody excited about Team Jesus? Are you? Oh, okay. Wasn't ready for your cut loose yet. But anyway, uh, are you excited about justice and mercy? Are you excited about the grace of God? Are you excited about people getting out of debt? Are you excited about those things? Because all of a sudden when you get excited about it, that money that we give to change people's lives, all of a sudden becomes a drop in the bucks, nothing. $6,000 a month, it becomes nothing. $2 million annual budget becomes nothing when you think about what your team is doing. It all of a sudden puts things in a bigger perspective. All right, let me tell you a couple stories and we're gonna close with this. Music team's gonna lead us in a song in just a second, okay? Uh, we gave, as a church, $5,000 recently to build a well to provide clean water. $5,000 $5, of your hard-earned dollars. We searched out an organization that we believed in, and they built a well. We're going to show you videotape. We're sending somebody to the well. And this Christmas, we're going to show you videotape. We're going to show pictures of the well that you all built in India. Let me tell you a brief story about a guy named Scott Harrison. Scott Harrison grew up in a very conservative Christian home. He was a, a, a musician. He went to New York City. He just said, forget all that Christian heritage. I don't care about that. He went into New York City. He's playing in bands. And then he became a promoter, became a nightclub promoter. And by his own words, he said, I basically, my job was to get people high and drunk. And that's what I did. And he did that and made a ton of money, made a ton of money. Rolex watches, had a really nice uh, apartment there in New York City, which we all know costs a ton of money. So he was living the high life. And all of a sudden he said he reached spiritual bankruptcy and he decided to take a trip on something called mercy ships. Also something in the past we as a church have supported. And they go to areas of the world where people can't afford to have surgery and they do surgeries on people and they change their lives with these surgeries. And he saw people like this all day. I could show you a lot of pictures. I'm going to show one that is going to be very upsetting. Okay, that is a child with a tumor. Now, there's a lot worse pictures, but he says that he saw people all day long just like this. So here's the baby on the left before the surgery, and there's the baby on the right. And he saw people, kids, adults, young, old, he saw people experience surgeries like that and have their lives changed. And he's like, oh my gosh. And what he realized was, is a lot of people were getting tumors like this because they were drinking dirty water. And so he started something called Charity Water, which provides clean water to people. 
It's awesome. So we put in a well. We did our small part, put a well in. We wrote the biggest check that we've ever written this past Christmas season, and we gave it to the International Justice Mission. It was for $50,000. That's a lot of money. I read a story about the International Justice Mission this past week, and their work in Peru. There's an epidemic of rape in Peru. 47, according to studies, 47% of the women living in the country of Peru, whether be raped or attempted to be raped living in that country, and many people will not be prosecuted. I read about one medical examiner who says, in his little area that he's in, he sees about 50 girls every week, many between the ages of 10 and 13, between 10 and 13, and nobody's prosecuted for the crimes because these are committed against poor people who nobody's going to fight for. So the International Justice Mission goes in and fights for them. And I read the story about a little girl named Yuri. She was eight years old. She was brutally raped all night long, and her body was just simply thrown out on the streets. Her leg was broken. Her head was bashed in, all these things. And so IJM comes in, and they fight for justice. And they put a stop to that. You know what? All of a sudden, the $50,000 we gave seems like a drop in the bucket to me, because I'm like, go Team Jesus. This is absolutely awesome. This is what I want to be a part of. Last story. Last story. <clears throat> About two years ago, we did a very difficult series. It was called It's Complicated. It's extremely difficult. It was very hard on me. Uh, and we talked about all kinds of difficult social issues. We talked about divorce and sex and we talked finally about the thing that everybody wants to talk about my gosh it's the sin of all sins in this world homosexuality and if you don't know me and you haven't heard the story and you just heard that like well what did you just say i'm saying that facetiously just so you know okay sin is sin in the eyes of god it's ridiculous that we've trumped this thing up as if it's the you know why does that get the special category i think it's crazy i'm sorry and you can't justify that through, 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 you can't. You don't have a leg to stand on with the Bible. I'm sorry, just, you just don't. God looks at us all the same way. We all need to get out of debt, okay? So I preached this message. I'm not gonna tell you all about the message now. It was just, it was horrendous. It was like six weeks from hell for me, right? That I lived through. I was so tired doing this thing. I'm, I'm not gonna tell you what I said. You can go listen to the message you want to. It's called, it's complicated. And um, I was exhausted after the 11 o'clock service when it finally when it finally got done. Oh my gosh, I remember walking off this stage right over here and I walked over here and I was, I was ready just to, I was ready to lay down and go to sleep. I was so exhausted. And there was a lady who was, uh, who was attending, I had met her before, she was a lesbian. And uh, so when I got off the stage and I turned, she was sitting right over here, I turned. Uh, she's a pretty good sized woman, okay? And she was coming at me like a torpedo. I thought, oh man, here, <laughs> here we go. It's, it's gonna get ugly. And she was motoring, and I'm just standing right there. I didn't move. I'm just, I braced myself, right? <laughs> I was bracing myself. She got about ten feet from me, and she put her arms out, and she came over and she just grabbed me. And she cried on my shoulder for a minute straight. And when she finally gained composure, she said to me, I left the church decades ago because I was told that God hates me. God hates me. God hates me. That's what I was told. I said, you know what? I just want to thank you because you told me God loves me. God has a plan for me. You brought healing. You brought hope to my life. You know what I said? 
all the difficult time I went through and giving that whole, it was worth it for that moment. I, I, I tell you what, I'm a, I'm a pastor today because of situations just like that. I love to see people be touched by the gospel, by the grace, by the love of Jesus Christ and lifted up and come out of debt. It's awesome. $6,000 a month to be here is a drop in the bucket. Here's the last thing I want to say. You know, to solve, to solve the water problem, I think they say it's about $20 billion to solve the water problem. That's a big number, $20 billion. I want to tell you this last story because you're thinking, hey, John, whoa, wait a minute. I just got a little bit I can give, you know, just, you know, the justice issue around the world, the water problem. That's a huge issue. There's only one miracle story of Jesus Christ that is told in all four gospels. And it is what? Who knows what it is? Anybody? The feeding of the 5,000. Why? You ready, everybody? Because when you take the little bit that you have, right? The $5,000 for the well, the $50,000 to IGM, and you offer it up to God, God doesn't add to it. God multiplies. God's not into addition. He's into multiplication. And he will take whatever you give, whatever you give in his name, he will take it and multiply it. He'll make a difference in the world. That is our belief. That's what Jesus is saying. I will multiply this over and over to bring justice, mercy, healing, hope, and grace. Lord, have mercy. I would love to see more babies have operations like that. I would love to see more people come to justice and people who are being abused around the world stop. I would love people to hear about the love of Jesus Christ, not the hate of God. I would love for people to get out of debt. You know what? That puts money in perspective and it gives it much greater meaning. All right? All right. Can we, uh, can we stand and conclude in prayer? Can we do that? It's time. It is time. I just want to say before we end, our prayer team's over there. Anybody wants prayer? They're going to be right over there, and they would love to pray for you. All right? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you are so loose and free with grace because we have all benefited from it. And I, God, I just ask that you would help this church to be on the cutting edge and would never add to the burden, would, would always be excited about seeing people get out of debt and becoming fully free and healed in Jesus Christ. Help us to do that. And God, the little that we are able to give, Lord, we ask that you would multiply it a million times over in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.